you need to entertain them. You need to delight them. You need to surprise them. You need to intrigue them. And I think all too often in business, especially in a B2B environment, we forget that we're actually selling to humans. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, so in this episode, you'll be hearing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from past conferences. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to the Flip Muffle podcast. This is fun. So uh, I think we have talked about it on the podcast that I've been going to Canada and doing axe throwing. So uh, axe throwing. It was so crazy. And over there, I meet this guy, Joey, and I'm like, man, he's a pretty good actor. I wonder how good of a speaker he is. <laughs> and the next day, he, he speaks on this topic of never lose a customer again. And I got a copy of his book. And uh, man, I heard so many people talking about it. So I'm like, Joey, we, we got to do this podcast. So here you are, Joey Coleman, who wrote the book, Never Lose a Customer Again, Turn Any Sale into Lifelong Loyalty in 100 Days. And as a founder of a company, I know that customers are the life and blood of the business. So I'm excited to dive deep into it. So Joey, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, Sangram. It's a thrill to be here. I figure this is the first show I've ever done with someone that prior to the show, we threw axes. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of nice. I, I have been axe throwing before. I've got a lot of friends and clients that live in Canada. So if you go up to Canada, it's kind of part of the tradition. You get to have some poutine and throw some axes. Uh, which is always good. But yeah, it's great to be connected and I appreciate you inviting me to the show. Awesome, man. Well, let's start with the fun facts. Something about you that uh, you may not have told many people. Okay, so something about me that we've already given up the axe throwing thing. So (laughs) I I actually have spent, I feel confident saying I'm a decent axe thrower. When we were out that night, I didn't win, but I came in second place. And so I, I felt pretty good about that performance. And I was a little, the speech was the next day. Other interesting facts that people may not know. Some folks might know this. I used to be, and maybe it's fitting since we've got some video here too. And I've got like these DJ headphones on and a giant microphone. I spent a lot of years with a microphone as a singer. So I've had the opportunity to travel around the world singing and performing with various choirs and various groups and bands and bars and that kind of thing. Uh, So that's something that maybe, and sung for some interesting folks. So like I sang for the Pope at the Vatican, which was fun and things like that. So yeah, so we've, we've, we've had some, uh, I've had some good times. Sang for the Pope. Yeah. Not by myself. It wasn't a solo, but, um, but the group I sang with, I sang with the Notre Dame Glee Club in college. And so about 50 of us went to Europe and did a European tour when I was in college and we traveled all over the US. I think when it was all said and done, we were like 35 plus, but like, so I went to Notre Dame. The Notre Dame fight song is very familiar and popular. When we did the math, we figured out we performed it over 2000 times in concert. So wow. that's not that's not just like, hey, we're at a party and we're gonna sing it or we're at the football game. But I mean, where we're mic'd up and people are in the audience to hear us sing. So I spent a lot of time singing. Wow. So. How did you go from singing for the Pope, I'm going to start there, <laughs> to writing this incredibly amazing book that I feel everybody should listen if they are in business, if they're in marketing or sales, if anybody's trying to figure out how do we have the heartbeat of our customers because it takes so much effort to acquire a customer and, and we spend absolutely nothing, I feel like sometimes, on retaining them, which is really, I feel like the thesis of your book. 
what got you to write this book? Yeah, so a couple of things, and I guess drawing the parallel to the singing, I often think of customers as the audience. Yeah. And so our job is not to deliver a product or deliver a service. Our job is to perform for our audience in every scale of what that means. So certainly, you've got to have a great product. You've got to have a great service. Those are the anti-up chips to sit down at the table. But you need to, I think, bring an emotional experience to the interaction. You need to entertain them. You need to delight them. You need to surprise them. You need to intrigue them. And I think all too often in business, especially in a B2B environment, we forget that we're actually selling to humans. Yeah. Okay. So I, I know there's a lot of folks that are like, oh, I'm in B2B and people that are, well, we're B2C. I believe it's all H to H. And that's actually how I start out the first chapter of the book. Yeah. My theory is if you don't recognize that you're selling to humans, you're missing a huge, huge opportunity. I've yet to meet a business that isn't actually selling to human beings. When I do, we got to have a bigger conversation because I want to know who they're selling to, you know? Uh, but at the end of the day, that emotional connection, that emotional journey that we take our customers on is something that I think most businesses overlook. And the data actually proves this. In writing the book, and I, I'm a speaker, as you know, and, and mentioned, I, I spend about two and a half to three weeks out of every month on the road giving speeches. I love being on stage and, and having the chance to perform for audiences. But one of the things we did in, in not only my speaking career, but in writing the book is I did a lot of research. And what I found is regardless of what industry you're in, whether you sell a product or a service, whether it's B2B or B2C, whether it's international or domestic, whether it's online or offline, doesn't matter. Somewhere between 20 and 70% of your new customers will decide to stop doing business with you before they reach the 100-day anniversary. 70 to 90%? 20 to 70. 20% to 70%, depending on your industry. So like, yeah. for example, in the cell phone industry, it's 21%. Restaurants hover between 40 and 80%, depending on the type of cuisine that they have. Auto mechanics is 80% you know, banks is 32%. So there's a lot of hemorrhaging that's happening with businesses that no one's talking about. Everybody wants to talk about what are your conversion rates on your marketing materials and how many people are coming in the funnel and coming out the back end is dollars, you know, that kind of thing. Nobody wants to talk about after they've given you their hard-earned money, how many of them stay long enough for you to recoup your acquisition cost? Yeah. How many of them stay long enough to buy another product or service from you? How many of them stay long enough to have the type of interaction where they have a context for making a referral and then they actually make a referral to you that is the right kind of referral that will actually grow your business? See, everybody wants to be focused on the chase. I'm more focused on the catch. What happens after they're in the door? What are we doing to make sure they have the kind of remarkable experience that will keep them around for a long time? Yeah. And why do you think that is? Why are companies knowing that customers are the lifeblood? Like as a founder, I know exactly what you're saying. Every time a customer is out, I feel like there goes a ton of not only the time, money, resources that were required, but also brand equity, right? That, totally, that totally. And employee morale. When oh, the yeah. customers are leaving, what that does to employee morale is staggering. I think there's a couple of reasons why this happens. I, I think there's biology and systems, okay? And then there's habits. So we'll talk about all three. So biology. Brain science shows us when we make a purchase, our brain floods with dopamine. We yeah. feel joy, euphoria, and excitement. This is the product. This is the service. But almost as quickly as our brain floods with dopamine, it starts to recede. 
<laughs> and a clock starts ticking faster and faster. And those feelings of joy, euphoria, and excitement are replaced by feelings of fear and doubt and uncertainty. Yeah. In common parlance, we call this buyer's remorse. Yeah. Now, everybody listening on the show, if I were to ask you to raise your hand if you've heard of buyer's remorse, almost every hand would go up. We can't see you, but yeah. I trust you're playing along at home and you're raising your hand if you've heard of buyer's remorse. Now, here's the question. How many of you listening have a system and a process in your business designed to address buyer's remorse? Raise your hand. Very few hands will go up. Now, here's the crazy thing. We've all heard of it. We all know it's real. It's scientifically proven. And yet most businesses aren't doing a single thing to address it. So that's a problem with biology. Let's talk about the problem with systems. In most businesses, operations are siloed. There's a marketing department yeah. that drives people to the sales department, that drives people to the operations or customer service department. And the customer gets passed between those like a baton. Well, much like an Olympic level race, you really need to pay attention to the handoffs of the baton because if you drop the baton, you're disqualified. You lose the customer. The problem is in most businesses, they're so siloed, they don't pay attention to that. Marketing says, well, hey, I can only bring them to the door. If sales can't close them, that's not my fault. And sales says, well, fine, marketing, you did a good job, but you know, the people you brought, I had to re-educate them and get them to sign on the dotted line. And then I hand them off to customer service. I mean, if they can't keep them after that, geez, do I have to do everything in this company? <laughs> and then customer service is saying, well, let me break this down for you how this is happening. Marketing tells them they're going to get more than they'll ever get. Sales lies to them and tells them they're going to get even more than that. And then I get to clean up the mess in customer service of resetting their expectations and telling them what reality is. So we have this infighting amongst the three divisions, which causes chaos at the expense of the customer. Last but not least, behaviors. Here's the interesting thing. We did the research and we found that north of 70% of CEOs came up through marketing or sales. They didn't come up through customer service. So, of course, they will over-index in their organization to paying attention to marketing and sales because that's their background. That's what they know. Yeah. Okay? It's the same why most CEOs don't pay as close attention to the numbers as their CFOs do. Right. Why? Because they didn't come up as CFOs that then became CEOs. It's a different part of the brain. Mm -hmm. So the part of the brain that is about the catch, the part of the brain that is about retention, the part of the brain that is about nurturing is not the part of the brain that is about chasing and acquiring and dazzling and getting, right? They're two very different parts of the brain. So we have a science issue, we have a structure issue, we have a behavior and pattern issue. And when those two, those three things combine, it creates a terrible situation for the typical customer in that they feel neglected after the sale. There's all this courting and whining and dining in the marketing and sales phase. And then as soon as they sign on the dotted line or hand over their hard-earned cash, they become a number. Oh, and by the way, they literally become a number because in most businesses, what is the first thing we do? We assign them a customer number. So when a customer says, I feel like a number, well, no kidding, Sherlock. I mean, the fact of the matter is you are a number to our organization. Not that I have any strong opinions on this topic. <laughs> I think that is, well, I've never heard this broken down in biology, system and habits. Really interesting. And I know you have like eight different steps that companies should go through. So we're, I think people should buy the book to go through that. So I'm not going to have you go through all of eight, but I would love for you to share in a good example, an example where you see that this thing has happened and people are doing a better job of it, companies who do better, who get this, um, because I think almost 99% of 
the companies don't get it in, in my opinion, yeah. right? And, yeah, uh, no, it's, it's much easier to find the examples of companies that are doing a great job because yeah. there's so few and far between, Yes, right? Yes. Most companies at best customer experience is lip service. They focus more on customer service. Now, a lot of people use those two phrases interchangeably. Yeah, I, I see them as being very, very different. Customer yeah. service is reactive. It's what you do when the customer has a need or a problem. Customer experience is proactive. It's all the interactions that create how the customer feels about you. It's what the customer, it's not about what the customer needs. Yeah. It's about what the customer desires. And it's about the unexpected interactions that are beyond their wildest dreams. Yeah. Those are the things that contribute to the customer experience. So you ask for an example. I know a lot of the listeners are in the B2B space. So hopefully by the end of this podcast, they're going to be in the H to H human to human <laughs> space. But I'll, I'll try to meet them where they're at for now because that's the message of the example I'm about to give. So there's a company in Canada, in Toronto. We started our conversations talking about Canada. So let's keep yeah. it. It's a company in Toronto called Policy Medical. They make a software that manages hospital records. Now, here's the interesting thing about their software, okay? And you guys are like, wow, this is a sexy example already. We're doing document management. Ooh, this is awesome. So glad I tuned in for this episode. Okay, let me break it down for it gets a little more exciting, all right? Here's the deal. In the typical business selling this type of software tool, the decision to purchase the software is made by the IT department right? It's a software implementation. Yeah, sure. The implementation and the execution is handled by the HR department because this is about hospital policies, okay? Now, I don't know about you, Sangram, but in my world, the Venn diagram of human beings that are really into IT and yeah. human beings that are really into HR don't really touch that much. If you're good at IT, you take pride in the fact that you don't talk to other humans and you just <laughs> sit there and code. If you're really into HR, you take pride in the fact that you don't know how to update your phone, okay? This is the scenario. So they're selling into this situation where once the deal is signed, the person in charge of maintaining the relationship on the client side is somebody who doesn't like IT, has never done a software implementation before, and is about to embark on a three-month, at the time I started working with them, 38-step software implementation program and they're responsible for it. And if it goes wrong, it's their job. It's yeah. their tail that's on the line. Did they Not the head get, of IT. Yeah. So right? did they also get bonused on how the service was no, done? No, 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 never. Never. Not at all. Here's the thing. They get invited into a meeting. They show up. It's the kickoff meeting. They have no context and they basically get told, you're going to be in charge of this software implementation. You're not getting a raise. You're not getting a promotion. You get to add this to your other list of duties and activities that you already feel overworked and underpaid for. And by the way, now this multi-million dollar software implementation is riding on your head or it has the impact of being a multi-million dollar decision. Okay, good luck, right? So here's what Policy Medical did. We worked together and we came up with some new ideas. Number one, we took the 38-step process to 19 steps. Okay, so we immediately cut it in half to make right. it easier. People like hitting the finish line faster, okay? Yeah. Number two, we sent all of these heads of HR, when they signed on, before the kickoff meeting, they would get a package in the mail, a FedEx package. And when they opened it up, there would be about 20 business cards, okay? Little business cards. And on one side, they'd have a colorful picture. And on the back side, they'd have a number and the step describing what that step in the implementation process was. 
19 steps plus the 20th card just said, congratulations, we're done. Okay. They also got a picture frame. The idea being that as they completed a step, they would put the piece of the puzzle into the picture frame. And so when they were done, they would have this beautiful picture that was all done showing they had completed the task. Now, here's the thing. Some of the people listening are like, Joey, that sounds absolutely ridiculous. I I don't get it. What's the deal? You're not the target audience. The target audience is the head of HR at a hospital. Our demographic research showed us this is a woman between the ages of 45 and 60 who feels overworked and underappreciated, who works in a cubicle that she likes to decorate with flair, pieces of flair and little signs and posters and that kind of thing. So we created something that she would be excited about, not the head of IT. Why? Because she's the audience. And all too often, what happens is we think we're selling to one audience Yeah. when the reality is we're selling to a completely different audience. Yeah. I think, you know, on, on that note, this is so cool. So cool. Like, and you, this is, you're talking about experience now. You're not talking about customer service by any. Correct. Story. Yeah. This is, this is all experience. Nothing had gone wrong. This is the beginning of the project. Yeah. But what we're talking about is delivering an experience that takes an otherwise painful scenario, software implementation, yeah. and makes it a game makes it fun, makes it enjoyable, creates a physical talisman or artifact that reminds that person of this incredible task they did. And then they hang it in their cubicle. So years later, when their colleagues come by and are like, what's that? They're like, oh, that's when I managed the software implementation for our policies records management software. Yeah. Now people are like, whoa, you've you've got some IT chops. That's impressive. Do to do. And it increases the status of the customer amongst their peers, their coworkers, and their boss. Which, if you want a pro tip on how to get more referrals and get more business, let me make it really simple. Take your target customer, your target client, and find ways to get them promoted. Mm. Yeah. If you make it so that they get a raise, so they get a promotion, they will remember that. Yeah, and they will tell everybody. And they will and they tell will, everyone, and they will take you with them. Yeah. When they then get hired to go to a different competitor's business, they will bring you in with them. Why? Because you've established a relationship that is about growing their career instead of growing your bottom line. That's fantastic. I love it. I love it. All right. So, you know, I think I didn't even talk about all, like, I, I got like two pages of notes, like, just <laughs> listening to this, like, literally. So, I'm going to try to try to wrap up with, with the top things that I got out of this because there's way more things. Like we didn't even touch the eight steps that you go through, but I want people to go get the book because I, I, like I've done a ton of podcasts with authors, but I've not always said, go get the book because we would talk about these ideas in simplicity. But I feel like this is a process. This is like people, you have to go through it. So, and there are examples and charts and all kinds of stuff. So, so I'm excited to go through that myself. So. Yeah, well, and for context, Sangram, forgive me, for I mean, there's 46 case studies in the book. Yeah. Policy Medical is one of them. Okay, 46. so 46 case studies. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to write a book, to be frank, and, and it's funny, the, the editor and the publisher and some of the folks I work with on the book, they're like, geez, enough with the case studies. There's too many. Here's the thing. I like to think I had a decent understanding of who my audience was. Business owners, entrepreneurs, busy people who are going to read one case study and go, okay, Joey, but you don't understand. We don't do software implementation. We're not B2B, we're B2C. What do you got? So guess what? We've got B2C examples. Well, those are B2C examples from multinational firms that are doing a billion dollars in revenue. Okay, here's some examples of companies that are doing under $100,000 in revenue annually. 
oh, well, wait a second. They've got 12 employees. I'm a solo entrepreneur. Great. Here are all the examples of companies that are solo entrepreneurs. And we have charts in the book so that if, yeah. you're, if that's the way your brain works, you can go and immediately go to the case studies by revenue or by employee size if you believe that that's a limiting factor. Now, I personally don't believe that's a limiting factor. I find inspiration in businesses of all sizes, small, yep. medium, and large, and there's always something we can learn from them. So that was definitely the intention and the goal behind the book. 46 different case studies. 46 case studies from around the world, from around the world. Yeah. That is so crazy because I read the first chapter because I literally got it like, you know, like last week and I didn't have a chance until our podcast. And I read the first one, which is the letter from you, where you talk about it's all human to human. And I'm like, well, this is going to be good. So, but I didn't realize there were 46 different case studies. So thank you for, for sharing that because that's no problem. Exciting. All right. So here are a few things I learned. Number one, your customer is your audience and we have to figure out a way to perform for the audience and not just deliver. So I think the whole difference between it being a service, which is reactive as opposed to experience, which is proactive. I think that's definitely a big idea. I love this this thought around like, are we after the catch or are we after the chase? And I'm sure you have got that before. And I do believe that there's some level of excitement when you think about, uh, about just the catch, right? Like we're going to get this catch, we're going to land this big deal and all that stuff. But really the chase is where the beauty is, where the long-term growth is, where successful businesses and as a founder myself, I know that's where the long-term valuation for your organization is and, and obviously for your customers. Absolutely. And, you know, to that point, Sagar, most of the venture capital firms are now increasing their valuations of companies by an X factor, right? Yeah. By multiples yeah. based on your retention rate. Retention rate is where it's at. Nobody wants to talk about this because it's not as sexy as conversion rate or acquisition rate, but your lifetime value of the customer and how long the customer is staying with you is what's key. In fact, the research also shows, we talked about the problem with them leaving in the first 100 days. In the typical business, if I can get you to stay through day 101, you'll stay for five years. Whoa. It's that simple. Now, some people say to me, but Joey, you don't understand. We sign our contracts. It's a year-long contract. Everybody stays more than 100 days. They may physically stay because they're trapped. The question is, are they mentally and emotionally there? Yeah. How do they mentally and emotionally feel about you on day 100 is what matters. Because that's whether they'll do referrals. That's the indicator of whether they will buy more. That's the indicator of whether they will renew when their contract term is up. So those foundations that we build in the beginning are kind of like making deposits into the karmic bank account. Mm -hmm. You're you're stealing yourself for the time when something doesn't go well. You've built such a strong foundation and such goodwill that you'll be able to weather the storm. I love that. And again, as I said, I I, I think you're 100% right. When I look at company valuations based on top line growth, I think that has been the historical way to looking at businesses. I think now people are really looking at, I know our investors always talk about like, hey, you know what? It's okay not to grow as fast as you're growing as long as your retention rate is even higher than where we are, like net negative retention rate. And, and those yes. never talked about. Net negative wasn't even a concept. Net negative wasn't even a phrase that was used in the boardroom. Yeah. And now the VCs are leading the charge on that. And if you know anything, then I know you know things about VCs. Here's the crazy thing, anybody listening. If you know anything about VCs, and I say this respectfully because I have a lot of friends who fall into that category, when they start paying attention to something, you all should start paying attention to something because that's where the dial is going. That's where the needle is moving. That's where the attention is being paid. Yeah, totally. 
And the last thing before I, I would love for you to share a challenge with the audience. Sure. I think like I'm super pumped and excited to dive in the book and case studies, but I feel like people listening, like what can they do tomorrow kind of stuff, right? So before that, the, the last thing that I really did never, I didn't really think about this. And it's so true now that I think about it after you said is that most CEOs have marketing or sales background and maybe even product background for that matter, right? I mean, those seems to be the typical, I don't, I don't even remember a CEO that I, and I know a lot of founders and CEOs that even come remotely from somewhere in customer success. And that actually makes a lot of sense why this is not the number one thing for people to focus on, but it is a business driver. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And what's crazier is in the typical business, who does the customer success person report to? Not the CEO. They usually report to the head of marketing or the head of sales, which by the way, just exacerbates the problem. <laughs> so they're reporting into the channel that is already paying attention to acquisition. Do you think that person's gonna be all about customer success? No, they're all about acquisition. Uh, wow. So, so, so the very structure of the typical business, not, not every business, but the typical business is structured that way. The deck is stacked against you before you even sell your first deal to your first customer. That is so cool. All right. What's the one challenge you want to give to everybody listening to now? Awesome. So I'd love to give them two because let's, let's just stack it, all right? Challenge number one ties directly to the audience piece. I'd love you to book out 30 minutes on your calendar for everybody who's listening. I know that's a big ask. I'd love you to spend 30 minutes and sit with a piece of paper and write down everything you know about your audience and what they actually desire. Not what your product does, not what your features and benefits are, what their emotional desires are. And then map those answers back against your own messaging, your own operations, your own marketing materials, and see where the opportunities for improvement and enhancement are. So that's challenge number one. Challenge number two, we're recording this podcast in November of 2018, okay? Here in the United States, Thanksgiving is coming, right? It's the season of giving thanks. Go write one thank you note to an existing customer. Like a physical thank you. A physical thank you note. As I say, go write. Not a text message, (laughs) not an email. Go to the store, buy a little package of 10 thank you notes, get 10 stamps, and sit down and write one of them to one customer. Physically mail it to them. And the thank you note should be formatted something like this. Dear so-and-so, and name the customer by their first name, I just wanted to send you this note to say how much I appreciate your business. My favorite thing about working with you is X, Y, Z. And you give some examples of things you like about. In this season of giving thanks, I just wanted you to know how much you mean to me, how much I appreciate your business, and how much I look forward to working together in the future. Sincerely, signed your name. That's it. Doesn't have to be 10 pages long. Five sentences is plenty but be specific about what you like about them. Then if you really want to do the bonus homework, do at least one a week for the remaining nine cards you have in your 10 card thank you pack, all right? I promise you, you get 10 thank you notes in. First of all, you'll have started to create a habit where you'll want to do this every week. Second of all, you'll feel great. All the research shows gratitude is the best way to improve your health, okay? It's fantastic. 
Not to mention, I promise you, if you actually end up doing 10 of these, you will hear back from these people. What you hear back from them will make you feel even better. And what usually happens, not always, and don't do it for this reason, okay? This is not the reason to do it. The reason to do it is for gratitude. But an icing on the cake that you get is, I've had clients do this and had the recipient come back and say, oh, thank you so much. Hey, by the way, there was this project I've been meaning to reach out to you about, and I haven't. I think we could use your help. I've had people land million-dollar deals off a thank you note to a customer that had been a customer for years but hadn't done business anytime recently because it just got them in front of that customer again. Now, again, that's not the reason to do it, but for those of you that are skeptical saying, I don't need to write thank you notes, great. If you want to be driven by the dollars and the business growth and the acquisition side of the house, fine. You'll be able to acquire new clients too and new projects. Man, I love that. Joey, this has been a blast. I love, we didn't even get to this eight different strategies <laughs> on how to do it. So I think everybody's going to go jump on it, but you shared so much wisdom. So I can't wait to get this live. Thanks, man. Oh, it's my, it's my pleasure. And thanks everybody for taking the time to listen. The book's called Never Lose a Customer Again. As Sangra mentioned, we talked about the eight phases of the customer journey. For context, the marketing and sales part is phase one. There's seven other phases that most people are leaving on the table. They're not paying attention to. And I always promise anytime I do the podcast, I always let people know there's an audio book as well. So we've got the hardback, we've got the ebook, we've got the audio book, and I actually narrate the audio book. So you enjoyed listening to my antics, right? And that brings us full circle back to the audience microphone conversation we started with. If you've enjoyed listening to this, you can listen to me read you the book on the audio book. Love it, love it, Jack. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sangram. It's a pleasure. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.